are listening to another episode of the Coach's Circle Podcast, brought to you by LifeCoachPath.com. Our goal is to explore all the different ways you can craft your own career in the fields of coaching, wellness, and mental health. Each episode features guests who offer an authentic perspective on their own unique career path and explores ways you might begin to craft your own. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit www.lifecoachpath.com. And now, here's your host, Brandon Baker. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Coaches Circle podcast. Today's special guest is Celeste Ballard. She is a licensed clinical professional counselor and the owner of Within Holistic Counseling, with an office in the Chicago area and another office in Knoxville, Tennessee. Hi, Celeste. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Yeah, um, I'm definitely interested in learning more about your particular approach. I know that on the show, we've had a lot of guests. Uh, we were kind of talking about this a little bit before we went on the air. Uh, most of our guests are you know, therapists that sort of focus on the traditional talk therapy method. I know that your take is a bit different. So let's just start off with um, some more about your background and kind of what makes your approach a bit different than um, maybe what you would find in, in other therapy offices. Yeah, so um, I think, you know, when I was younger, um, my family, when I was in high school, decided to venture into therapy and offered it up to us to all try therapy. And it was pretty life changing for us. So I had a fascination with it pretty early on. And it definitely changed my perspective towards the world and uh, family systems and life. And then um, when I finally got around to deciding to follow it in college, because um, I went a, a few different tracks, I was um, going a traditional route and um, was living in Colorado. And I had a roommate that was studying at the Naropa Institute in Boulder. And she was getting a degree in somatic psychology, which is just body-centered psychotherapy. And um, that really opened up a whole other level of work. And um, I just realized it was much deeper than just the talking part of therapy. So I got my undergraduate degree and my graduate degree traditionally, but while I did my graduate degree, I did a two-year program in a type of somatic psychology called Hakomi, and that's a Buddhist-based um, kind of tradition, um, working with slowing people down, getting them in tune with their body, and letting the psychology, the cognitive part, meet you know what's being stored in the system more on a, a subconscious level. And so then, as I began to work. Um, in the field, what I noticed is the talk therapy only gets people so far. And in part because um, people get stuck in their stories and they don't get to the unconscious as much. But I also found that a lot of therapists don't do a lot of in-depth of their own work or do a very limited amount. And that's the other place that it gets a little, a little stuck in therapy because we can't get our clients as far. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, so I want to pick up right there. Uh, you mentioned that talk therapy can only get clients so far. Um, so let's just take a look into the way that you're practicing um, in, in your office. Um, so what can you just take us through maybe a, a sample session? Obviously, you don't have to reveal any information about any client, but just an idea of what makes a session in, in your office um, different than a typical talk therapy session. Yeah. So talk therapy is very helpful and um, it does give, and I, and we definitely use that as well. It gives context for an understanding of the systems in place, where they came from, how they evolved, 
how we're playing them out in our current situation. Um, they give context for all of that and people need to understand that, that realm. Um, but what happens is the body is set up in a system that when, when we were little, um, we were very open, you know, for the most part, everybody's history is very different, but there's a, there was a time at some time when, when as a child, we expected everything to be safe and we were going to be cared for. And when though most people, most parents try to do a good job, you know, we're human and we all fall short in some ways. And, um, so then people get hurt and then things happen in life. So when that started happening, the ego structure kind of took over, the thinking took over and the feelings in the body got shut down and down into the fascia and into the, the whole system. So when people um, don't know how to get connected with that because they've shut it down for so long, then they miss a lot of just the simplistic feelings that we have in there. They miss um, more pure joy. They miss um, a sense of real grief. They don't know what to do with their, if there are fears, if they're real, or if they're just, um, you know, anxiety. So um, in a session, we come in and we talk about what the person wants to work on and what's happening and, and do all that like normal therapists would. And, and it depends on different levels. If somebody simply needs to start with getting a job, we're certainly going to help them get a job. Or if they're um, having relationship stuff and we just need to start with getting some basic safety or communication, we'll do that. But from there, we um, use art or we use mindfulness or meditation to help them go to that other realm. So in mindfulness, we have them close their eyes and we slow down, have them slow down. And then we have them get conscious of their body. It may be a physical sensation. It may be an energy. It may be a feeling. And then we follow that track to see where we need to go. Sometimes they're specifically guided in a direction. And sometimes they're, um, it's just really more of an organic following. And inevitably, we get where we need to be. Okay. So I just want to be clear. You mentioned um, Hakomi earlier. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So with regards to that, you know, body centered um, sort of uh, training that, that you completed in, in Hakomi, how is that different from what we, I guess, would more commonly understand as just mindfulness meditation? Is that, is that essentially the same or is there some key difference there? Well, a little after 20 some years, it's hard for me to tell what's Hakomi and what's all <laughs> that happened, just kind of, you know, learning it. But the difference, well, regular mindfulness, that's where I started out with regular mindfulness and the work of John Kabat-Zinn, who does mindfulness-based stress reduction and works a lot with chronic pain. There's a way to teach people to just be in their body because essentially what everybody's not wanting to do in life is feel pain, whether it's physical or whether it's emotional. And we're meant to feel pain because that pain is communication and that pain is um, emotional communication as well. And if you, if you stay with physical pain or emotional pain, not, not um, I mean, feelings, you know, if you just really stayed at a base level, simply in a feeling without bracing against it, it really comes up and it goes down and the body relaxes. But most of us get um, hung up and don't want to do that or are scared to do that or don't know how. So um, mindfulness is being still and very present. When you combine it with psychology or a method like Hakomi or um, there's, you know, Peter Levine or Pat Ogden all have different forms of doing somatic psychology that's really wonderful. When you combine it with the feeling, 
you get to heal the pattern that got broken. And often it starts with kind of childhood patterns. And you get to go in and learn how to nurture and take care of that and actually really deeply understand it. And when we don't know how to do that, we pull um, that sense of comfort from addictions, from uh, people around us, from jobs, from, from what, anything else that's not actually going to fill that void very deeply. So when you use it in a psychological way and when you use it with somebody who's, you know, a, a lot of people say throw mindfulness around and meditation around, but if you aren't doing it in the context with um, psychology or feelings and you don't have somebody training you and you aren't doing that regularly or deeply, you're, you really aren't going to be able to help people very much. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, something that I, that I often ask uh, therapists and coaches as well is, you know, obviously a lot of the issues that clients come to you facing, they are recurring in their lives. It's not the first time that they um, are facing this, right? And so, and so because it is maybe the, you know, third or fourth bout of, let's say, depression or anxiety or, or whatever the case may be, you know, they, they come to you and then they make some progress and they find themselves in a healthier mental state at the end of the relationship. But then, of course, that's not the end of the story. Sometimes it resurfaces again a year or two later. Um, and so what I ask in light of that is, you know, how does your work help clients sort of um, maybe shield or guard or not, if not, if not that strong, maybe just better prepare them for managing a recurrence of of those issues again. And of course, with regards to talk therapy, if it's just standalone, just pure talk therapy, it seems to me that you're not really preparing the client for handling a lot of these issues on their own as much as say what you're doing, which is incorporating a, a mindfulness aspect, which really can be done on your own. Um, so how do you kind of think about that topic of, of, you know, um, kind of preparing clients for, for the future of any recurrence of, of some of these issues? Well, that's why I guess that's the goal. You know, some of these um, patterns are so systemic that the upper, like coaching is beautiful because coaching gives somebody in their corner to support them, to keep them accountable, and to also teach them kind of that discipline and that care for themselves at that level. And, and a lot of people miss that in childhood or they had it, but they have it with somebody who's as caring or attentive as, as might happen in coaching. But those things that are dealt with at that level are the, they, they are a good rung to fit, but some of these things are so systemic emotionally that if you, if you get hooked to the therapist being the loving, caring person alone, and you're not doing that work yourself, it won't get healed. So it really becomes a little bit of a psycho spiritual aspect um, in a sense, you, we all need people and we need to learn to connect with people and we do need to go through childhood, childhood stuff and heal it. But then we need to move on and really be able to take care of, um, on a deeper level, whatever's happening in us, we need to know what it is and why it's there. And we need to know how to care for it really well. And that's what's missed. So when you know how to do those three things, you will have reoccurring challenges in life but you'll feel more solid in yourself because you'll have resources to take care of them. Then if people interact with you or want to help or are supportive, that's just a lovely bonus, but we're not um, relegating our job to other people, which never really works because it's never that satisfying. 
Right. So it really is a systemic kind of thing. And I don't think most therapy necessarily does that, but because I've been in it so long and I hire people that are willing to do that work, we're going to go as deep as a person can go and, um, keep weeding that stuff out. And, you know, not because we're gluttons for punishment, but because the more you clear out the old patterns, the more room there is for peacefulness and um, the ability to feel pain and not freak out over it and the ability to really help other people around you. And, you know, it's exactly what's not in the world. Everybody's full of fear right now and everybody's um, acting out their anger and frustrations. But if you can get more centered and peaceful when things are hard, you're going to be, you're going to be good. You're going to be uh, helpful. Right. Yeah. It is, it is a topic that I kind of always like to circle the conversation back around because ultimately the goal of therapists, coaches, you know, basically everybody in this space is obviously improving mental health, improving their clients, mental health. It's not really to have this, you know, vicious cycle of um, constantly having to, um, return to therapy. And it's, you know, the, the goal here should be to leave your clients with some kind of lasting improvement in, in their lives. And so that's why I always like to emphasize that kind of longevity factor of how are you helping clients prepare themselves for, for handling their own issues and challenges. Um, it's not to say that they cannot go back to therapy. Of course they can. But Ideally, you know, they would have some sort of um, they would be better prepared afterward to be able to handle those. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's what mindfulness does. It is prepare them to right. to do that work on their own. But I in our practice, we get a lot of people that I mean, me, myself, I will always have somebody across from me that knows more from me and I'm going to always do this work. So I don't think it's a bad thing to continue to do work. You know, because it's just a level of progression. You're going sure. deeper and going deeper, and they're happier. And you know, so, so I think, I think that's fine too. Mm -hmm. All right. So I, I wanted to also, um, you know, we've talked about the kind of uh, psychology aspect of the, of the work you do, and I think it's an interesting angle for sure. I wanted to switch over a little bit to the more business side of things because that is, you know, what I hear so often from from coaches, especially really, is, you know, training as a coach does not really prepare you for the business side of opening your own practice. And I would assume for many of the cases also true for therapists where, you know, right. uh, getting your, yeah, getting your, your licensure, it, it doesn't necessarily prepare you for being an entrepreneur. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And so what I wanted to ask you is, can you share a little bit, you know, now that you have your own uh, private practice, can you share a little bit more about, the challenges that you faced when you opened up and maybe giving some context as to what you were doing before and maybe what, what somebody who was in that stage of considering opening up their own practice, what are some of the most, I guess, pertinent, um, you know, considerations that they should be thinking of maybe to avoid some of those pitfalls? Well, you know, I, um, somewhere in me, I have this, I'm gene of nothing's going to kind of stop me from doing what I want to do. <laughs> in a way. So I like that. early on, I knew I wanted to do private practice. And even when I was um, not licensed yet, I found a practice where I could jump in and build my practice already and do that legally while I got my license. So what helped me a lot is in a way, you know, I, I read different ways to build a practice, but I also didn't listen too much to people in the field at times because people get very cynical when they struggle and it was hard and it 
it's hard for them. So I didn't listen to that so much. And I just knew how I wanted to do it and how I wanted to make it. And, you know, I did 15 years of not using any insurance. And I had people tell me I can't, I shouldn't um, just be holistic because that won't work. And, and I just didn't listen. I wanted it and I made it work. So I think um, not letting people um, kind of put their negativity in you is very helpful. And also, I do think it's really important to at some level finding kind of a niche um, that's your thing, because there's a lot of counselors and there's a lot of coaches out there. And even though we all, you know, kind of work broadly and can work with a different person, getting your niche in marketing that way, you'll still get people from all different contexts. But that is really helpful finding a way for you to stand out differently than other people. And then, you know, I learned to market, um, do my marketing smartly without spending a lot of money. I found the things that worked. And a lot of what I found was really helpful was really face-to-face talking to people and running um, meetup groups and workshops regularly and not charging very much and just having our face out there and, and building that. And then the other piece of it is a little bit of a spiritual component where for me, I call it prayer. Other people call it different things for manifestation. But when I when I am had been worried or wasn't sure if I'd have enough people, then things would drop. But when I just stated out loud and said what I wanted and what I needed and how full I wanted to be and to bring me people that I can really help. And um, that's been a huge thing that my practice always for all these years has always stayed, stayed busy. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one key element that ties into what you just said there, just stating it, kind of like putting it out into the world is also a related idea of visualization. Um, I think yes. that's also a very helpful technique that's come up a few times on right. the podcast as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so is that is that something else, by the way, that you incorporate in, in your work? Yeah, the visualization is actually quite a bit of the mindfulness and meditation too. Some of it is tracking the person's body, but a lot of it is taking them through a visualization as well. So it is really, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's changing the um, neurology of that whole system and and the trauma or the, um, the pathway, the neural pathway gets changed by seeing it, feeling it, you know, whole systems. Right. I mean, there's even you know, theories uh, that that suggest that the purpose of dreaming is to visualize um, certain events taking place as well. And not maybe not necessarily the only purpose of it, but um, there's, I guess, some pretty good science that suggests that that is the case as well. So the body, it's interesting, might have its own uh, preset sort of uh, vehicle for visualization. And it happens to us every night. Yeah. Yeah, that is the way the psyche works out things that we can't quite do when we're conscious. Right. Um, And you you also mentioned something else that I I find really important, the idea of choosing a niche. And your particular case, I find instructive for anybody listening to the show who thinks, okay, I have to specialize either in anxiety or trauma or relationships or money or careers um, Mm -hmm. or, or like sexual addiction. I mean, you know, this is kind of the common way of understanding a niche, right? What kind of problem right. is the client facing? But right. but that's not the case at all, because you see clients that deal with all of those issues that I just mentioned, but right. you still have a well-defined niche, which is this right. body-centered psychotherapy, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I just like to, I mean, it, it's it's pretty implied from everything we've been talking about, but I just wanted to make it explicit that a niche doesn't have to be an issue, 
a niche could be a kind of guiding philosophy or a focus of your right. work. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So very last thing I, I wanted to, <clears throat> I wanted to kind of end on a, a two part question. Anybody that's listened to the show by now knows I am a fan of two part questions. <laughs> it's kind of a, <laughs> it's kind of a challenge sometimes for listeners to keep up. But, um, in this case, I, I wanted to ask you what, what has been the most rewarding aspect of the work you've done? Um, throughout your throughout your career as a counselor. And on the flip side of that, the second part is what has been maybe the part that you didn't expect to face that maybe has been challenging and and you've worked hard to um, to overcome that? And what advice could you give to somebody coming in to to help tackle that as well? Yeah. Well, I think the best part is just those moments where somebody when somebody actually truly gets in touch with their feelings and is able to actually ride them out in that, you know, they, they, biologically it's 20 minutes, but I think it's less when somebody's really in that, when somebody really learns to trust themselves and, and go through that pain cycle or sadness, because right along with that is this openness and this love and this comfort that comes. And when they break through that point, it's, it's really relaxing because it's like they solved a little bit of a mystery and now they just need to keep practicing that. Mm -hmm. So that's really, that's really fun. And then I think the hardest part is that I think often I've wanted people to change more than they want to change. <laughs> and, uh, and that hasn't always been easy for people across from me probably because, you know, I'm better at it now, but it was a pressure on people, you know, and to, you know, because I'm just such a, a extreme sports with that. So I, I really did have to learn that um, people, you know, I, I had my things I went through and somebody was patient with me in my process of working on my stuff. And um, I had to learn to be really just let people feel what they are wanting to feel and be in the process they're wanting to be and let them be where they are. And, and maybe they don't want to to overcome that thing right now or let go of that thing. And that's just fine. You know, we have right. to let people be where they are. Right. Actually, I think there's kind of three aspects to that um, maybe relaxing of expectations. I think one, you just mentioned, um, there are some things that you might want them to change that they don't necessarily want to change. So that's the first you just mentioned that. I think the second might be I think sometimes clients change more slowly than the practitioner might expect them to change. So they will maybe change that, you know, that thing, but it, it'll take right. it, it'll take nine months instead of three. Right. Um, sure. yeah. Right. And so and so obviously that's uh, that's another big aspect of it as well. Um, and I think also the third is it's not I mean, sometimes they will make that change specifically the one you're expecting in the time you're expecting them to, but maybe not to the severity that you thought that, that they mm -hmm. were, right? Um, maybe you wanted them to change like a 180, uh, but in fact, they don't want to let go of, of whatever, um, you know, kind of was, in your opinion, holding them back. Um, maybe right. they don't want to let it go completely. So I think it's kind of those three aspects of it that I think a therapist or a coach would be um, kind of wise to keep in mind that it's really about the client. It's not about your own preconceived notion as to what you feel the client should be doing on what schedule they should be doing and how, how strongly right. they should be doing it. Right. right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, I think this was great. I think we gave kind of an interesting angle to, um, to how a psychotherapist could approach 
their work. It's always nice to get sort of a different viewpoint. I know talk therapy is pretty much uh, the kind of uh, dominant, you know, approach. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we got to discuss. And we haven't have, we haven't uh, mentioned Hakomi at all on the podcast before. So um, if anybody is interested in that, um, definitely they can they can check that out some more. And if anybody is interested in your work, I want to give you the opportunity to um, tell us where we can find you online and in case you're on any social media as well. Yeah, we do have a Facebook page. Um, and then our website is www.withinholisticcounseling.com. And uh, we're in Woodstock, Illinois, and Knoxville, Tennessee. And um, yeah, you can feel free to contact us on our website. And we have a blog and often do classes and stuff. So our, um, you, can be, you can reach us at 773-226-5603. Perfect. Well, thank you again so much, Celeste. I think that was an interesting um, angle that you provided us. And um, I appreciate your time and I wish you the best of luck. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Coaches Circle Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to our show just as much as we enjoyed making it. If you'd like to check out a complete listing of all of the episodes on our show, head on over to lifecoachpath.com slash podcast. See you on the next one. Thank you.